Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. Um, I'm from Kansas. I don't know if I was introduced. I'm Lee Nisley from Hutchinson, Kansas, and we are friends with Alice and Hannah, and they are so gracious to host us this weekend. Uh, my nephew got married in the area, and so we're here for a wedding yesterday, so that's why we're here. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord with his people, and um, pray that he has a message for all of us. First of all, myself. <clears throat> the message this morning, I'll, the title I've given it is Dying to Live. I preached it at our church on Easter Sunday. Um, so the idea of, of how we live by dying <clears throat> it seems like a paradox. One of, the, one of my resources was the, the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, I don't know how many are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, a German theologian, lived in the time of World War II, and um, was influential, had wrote, so wrote a bunch. One of his uh, most common works is, is a book called The Cost of Discipleship. I don't necessarily agree with everything Bonhoeffer did. He was involved in a, in a plot to kill Hitler, um, and for his, his trouble, was put in a concentration camp and eventually died um, for, his, for his crimes. <clears throat> But he was a man who, um, who talked or thought a lot about what it, what it, what it cost to, to be a disciple of, of Jesus. Story is said, in 1939, he made a trip to America, and um, he wrote after that trip, he said, I've come to the conclusion that I've made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history. He's talking about German, Germany. In our national history with the people of Germany, I will have no... I, have, I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if you do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will have to face the terrible alternative either willing, of either being willing to defeat, either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization might survive, or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroy the civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make that choice from security. So he was saying, I have to choose to go back and live with the people of Germany. Even though it's safer in America, I'm choosing to live with my people, even though I know it is a terrible time. Another quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is a call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. <clears throat> if you want to turn to John chapter 12 for the, the text of the message this morning. You know, the defining question of our Christian lives is this. Am I, am, going to, am I going to take my way or am I going to take God's way? Uh, one of the slogans of a, a popular fast food joint, Burger King, is have it your way. And we can choose the Burger King way or we can choose God's way. Am I going to choose to take my way or, or God's way? And it started a long time ago. The... the that was really the question that was facing Adam and Eve in, in the garden. Am I going to take my way to take the fruit that looks good 
looks like it's going to be good to eat, it's going to make me wise, or am I going to take God's way? And we know what they chose and how we often choose in our own lives. So the setting here in John chapter 12 is just after the triumphal entry. Some Greeks had come to Philip and they wanted to see Jesus. Um, Philip went to Andrew, they came to Jesus, and in response to that question to see these, these Greeks, um, this is what Jesus said. And I'll start in John chapter 12, starting verse 23, and this is from the New King James Version. John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. It says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most surely I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now, is my, so- now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, saying, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So here in this passage, Jesus talks about dying like it's a a good thing, a positive thing, and not a negative thing. He said it's even necessary that, that we die. Well, how is that possible? How does life come out of death? You know, they seem like opposites. And in some ways, they are. It's true. Um, We can see it every time we sit down to eat. You think about it, everything you eat has to die. Um, Whether it's a plant, when you remove it from the root, it starts dying. Um, The tomato you pick starts dying as soon as you take it off. The the meat you eat, that animal had to die in order order for you to, to eat and to live. And so, it's true. We do... We do live by dying. <clears throat> it's a paradox, it's, and the definition of a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or, or proposition that when investigated or explains may, may prove to be well-founded or true. Another example of this is, is our skin. Our skin is our largest organ in your body, um, and we know that it, it regenerates. Um, new skin cells come to the surface and the old ones start dying off. In fact, most of the dust in your house is old skin cells. Um, they say that about between 30,000 and 40,000 skin cells fall off your, your body every, every hour. And 
those skin cells regenerate about every, it takes about four weeks, three to four weeks, for a skin cell to, to, to come to being and then to move to the outside and, and fall off. So about every month, you're a new person on the outside. Um, and, and it becomes, that's just a process that has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, um, you would get really big if they wouldn't fall off. And you would eventually die. And, and that's one of the signs of death is when that stops, that process starts stops happening. <clears throat> so we, when we stop regenerating, dying, and replacing, we are truly dying or we're dead. In Mark 8, Jesus said, Forever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels, Gospels will save it. So looking just a little bit at, at Jesus' analogy of the seed and at G- seed germination, um, I'm interested in this. I'm in lawn care business, so right now I'm in the process of doing aerations and overseeding, um, regenerating lawns from, from the heat of the summer. And I'm putting seed down and I'm telling people to, to water it so that it germinates because I, I want a good stand of, of grass. Jesus said here that the seed has to die. Um, and we know it, it, the seed act doesn't actually die physically. There's still, there's still life there. But it does have to die to, to what it is in order to become what it, what it, what it wasn't. <clears throat> so seeds typically have to dry and go dormant. And they can stay in this state for years. In fact, I think I read somewhere that they found seeds in the pyramids in Egypt where they've been thousands of years. And in the right conditions, those seeds will germinate and grow. So they can, they can be dry and look dead, but there's still that, that germ of, of life within them. So a seed needs three things to, to germinate. It needs the right temperature, it needs moisture, and it needs oxygen in order to sprout. <clears throat> Jesus said if it remains alone, it dies. If it doesn't have all three of those things, it's not going to, it's not going to sprout and live. So it has potential, but without those three things, that potential is never, is never realized. And we could say every person is like that seed. Every person has potential. We talked about in Sunday school this morning of, of life within us, how each person has, God can work through each person, whether they're Christian, whether they're non-Christian. Um, I believe they have that, that spark of life within them. And when those right conditions come, then that new life is, is started and we are born again. So if we compare those three things that a seed needs to, to our lives, we could say that, first of all, we need a, the Spirit to draw us, and we know that that does happen to, to each person. Secondly, we need information. We need someone to, to tell us that we're sinners and that there's a Savior. Um, that can happen in, in any different ways, many different ways, but often happens through, through other people. And then thirdly, we need faith. So when those, those three things come together with the spirit drawing, the information, the proper information, and then faith that we believe that and we put our faith and trust in that message, that's when we were born again and we have new life. So when they're in, a, in the natural world, when there's enough moisture to soak through the, the hole of the seed, through that protective seed coating, the embryo wakes up and it resurrects. 
First of all, it sends down an initial little root down called a radical, and then one sprout up to the surface of the earth. And while it's doing this, it's using the energy from the seed itself. That's why if you plant a seed too deeply, and it doesn't have time to, to send that first sprout up out of the ground and start making its own energy, it actually withers and dies. Um, and so it's actually sort of feeding on itself until it, until it has time to, to get that energy from the sun. <clears throat> so the seed needs to die to what it is in order to become what it was designed to be. And that is a plant that produces fruit. And that fruit then has the potential to produce, reproduce itself. So we'll look first of all at what Jesus' death did. Jesus' death brought life, and Jesus is the perfect example of, of dying, bringing life out of, out of death. Philippians 2, it's a very common passage, talks about Jesus. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who had made in the form of God, did not consider, himself, consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, and he took upon him the form of a bondservant, and coming the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, making him obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And out of that death, God exalted him and gave him a name. So Jesus gave up. He died to his rightful place in heaven, and he came to earth. As a human, he had a will also. And he was faced with also that fundamental question, am I going to take my way, or am I going to take God's way. And it was a real temptation, and we see that struggle, especially in the, garment, in the garden of, of Gethsemane. And we know he chose, he chose the right way. He chose God's way. He said, it's hard. I don't want to, but if it's your will, Father, I'm, I'll, I'm willing to do it. So death is painful. Death involves change, and usually involves the uncertainty of the unknown. You know, as Christians, we have a certain hope of death and what happens after death. Um, we, we have certainly at least have some general things, and that's, that's a wonderful blessing. But we still have a lot of questions about the details, and, and those aren't, quite so, aren't quite so clear. And these are then our opportunities for, for faith, to recognize that, God, you've got this, and I can trust you um, to do what is right. <clears throat> Jesus also was troubled with the prospect of his death, and I'm, I'm glad that God, that the Bible is, is honest about people's struggles, even Jesus' struggles. And we see this in the, in the passages we read in, in John 12, how Jesus was troubled about his death. <clears throat> you know, in spite of knowing what was on the other side of death, and that it's much better than what's on this side, um, Jesus had that, that sense of apprehension and it was normal even for Jesus. And so I think we should expect that, be prepared for it, but also shouldn't paralyze us. You know, we can, we can walk confidently into death, knowing that in spite of the unknowns, in spite of the darkness of Friday and Saturday, that Sunday is coming. And the only way to experience the wonder of resurrection is to go through the death and through the burial. I enjoyed the, the song that was picked, Because He Lives. It, it talks about that hope. Of, um, that we have through Christ's death and, and the resurrection. 
Hebrews 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, his, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> if you look at our text in verses 27 and 28, um, we see that, that sort of that switch where Jesus goes from being apprehensive about his death to, to confidently walking um, toward, toward the cross. First of all, he starts out in verse 27 that, he, that his soul is troubled. And he says, he says what shall I say? Um, he says, Father, save me for this hour. And he starts taking his focus off of himself and his feelings and he starts putting that focus onto God. He shifts his focus to his father, and then eventually it shows, shifts all the way to what will glorify God the most. And I think when we are faced with any hard time, but especially our death, when we t start taking our focus off of ourselves onto the father, and eventually to what's going to glorify God, um, I think that that's really where... Um, that, that dying, where we, where we get life when we're focused on, on Jesus and what God's glory is. <clears throat> so I think it's key for me that instead of focusing on myself, and I don't mean that, that we should deny ourselves or our feelings or reality, um, we need to be true and honest about where we're at. But it can't end there. We need to move forward and make decisions on the basis of what gives God the most glory. <clears throat> So Jesus' death made it possible for us to have a spiritual life. The worst possible thing, the crucifixion of the Son of God, brought about the best possible thing, and that is the best possible thing for us, and that is um, the chief end of man, which is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So what about our death? Jesus said, we need to die. What do we need to die to, and what does it produce? three things I'd like to look at um, briefly that, they, that we need to die to. First of all, we need to die to sin. When we receive Christ and we place our faith and trust in him and what he did on our behalf, the power of sin is broken in our lives. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't sin. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. But it, what it does mean is that we don't have to sin. We have the ability to not sin. As I look back at my life, one of the big differences, pre-conversion versus post-conversion, is that every time that I've sinned after I've been converted, there's not a time I can look back and say, I couldn't have done something different. Um, I had no power. Uh, there were a lot of times I chose wrong, but it wasn't because I didn't, because I couldn't. And I really think that was different before conversion. So that power of, of sin is broken by our conversion and by our, our faith and trust in Christ. Romans 6 talks about that quite a bit. Um, I'll read a few verses here. It says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have unified, if we united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. He's saying that's, that's why God died for us, is to free us from sin, from the power of sin. 
John Piper said, Faith stands or falls on the truth that the future with God is more satisfying than the one promised by sin. Where this truth is embraced and God is cherished above all, the power of sin is broken. The power of sin is the power of deceit. Sin has the power, has power through promising a false future. In temptation, sin comes to us and says, the future with God on his, on his narrow way is hardened and happy, but the way I promise is pleasant and satisfying. The power of sin is in the power of this lie, and it is a lie. And, and God is, Jesus has come to break that, that power. So we need to die to sin. Secondly, we need to die to self. For the quote, we have met the enemy and he is us. You know, the biggest problem in my life is, is Lee. Um, it's not other people. I have lots of other problems, uh, but the biggest one is, is me. <clears throat> All the circumstances in my life could be perfect, and I'd still have to deal with myself. And, the, you know, the, most, the best person I have a chance of, of making impact is, is myself. Um, too often I get frustrated by trying to change other people and realize that I have a limited effect on other people. Um, the best person I have a chance of, of changing is myself. Another quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we can, we can, of course, shake off the burden which is laid upon us, but only find that we have a still heavier burden to bear, burden to carry, a yoke of our own choosing, the yoke of ourself. So while we've got rid of everything else, we still have to deal with ourselves. So we deny ourselves not to make it harder on ourselves, but to maximize wholeness and flourishing. Yesterday we were at a, at a wedding, and I have to think of this analogy um, in, in marriage, that you know I deny myself other women, not, it doesn't feel like a denial necessarily, um, I deny myself other women in order to maximize my relationship with my wife. And it's something I do gladly. It is something I, I give up. But it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. It's, it's, I wouldn't have any other way. Um, but it is, it is something that I, I give up in order to, to get something else that is, that is better. <clears throat> it doesn't even feel like a denial because the benefits so far outweigh the cost. And it's, that's true of every sin. If we, would just, if we could see it clearly that the, the benefits of denying ourselves that sin, which is really God's, not what God wants for us. Doing what's right, holiness is what is the best thing God has for us. And when we can see that clearly, that what God is asking of us is not, is not bad, it's not, it may be hard, but it, what he's asking of is, is for our best. We get that in our minds, um, I think it's going to, uh, be a great help. In our baptism vows, we ask, are you truly sorry for all your past sins? And are you willing to renounce Satan, the world, all the works of darkness, your own carnal will, and sinful desires? Um, and the answer for that is yes. I am willing to renounce my own carnal will and sin sinful desires. So it's letting something go in order to take hold of something else, something better something longer lasting. You often, it's the case that in order to, to, to reach for something else, we have to, get, we have to let go of what we have. Um, 
you know, we can only handle so much. Um, we have to let go of what is in order to get what, what we don't have <clears throat> and what we truly want. Another quote from Bonhoeffer, he says, If it is I who determine where God is to be found, then I shall always find a God who corresponds to me in some way, who is obliging, who is connected with my own nature. But if God determines where he is to be found, then it will be in a place which is not an immediately pleasing to my nature and which is not at all congenial to me. This place is the cross of Christ. And so we look for ways where God reveals himself in objective ways, where it's outside of myself. Um, he does that through his word. I, I can't change the word of God. It's, it's written. I, I can't change it. Um, and other people speaking into my life, I don't have a lot of control in what they say. Um, but I think we should be cautious about subjective ways that we receive God's leading. Um, and I think it's right. I mean, we, should, we are subjective people. We, we feel things. Um, but we should be cautious about, well, I think... God is telling me this. If it doesn't line up with what other people are saying, what God is saying, those are objective ways that are outside of myself, and those are ways that um, God can, can truly speak. I think we can, we can tell ourselves um, that, that God is telling us something, that especially when we really want it, and we sort of form God into to what, what we want rather than who God really is. <clears throat> So we need to die to sin, we need to die to self, and we also need to die to the world. And we see that sort of the, the three enemies of our soul is, is Satan, the world, our flesh, the devil, and the world. Um, sort of things we need to die to. <clears throat> First of all, we realize the world is not the physical world, um, but the world, as he's talking about here, is the world outside of God, the, the system and the mindset of, of ungodly people and, and the way they think. <clears throat> First John, verse 2 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done and what he has, does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the world has a different value system that God has. And it isn't just that it's different, but that it's in opposition to God. And that's really where the danger is. So outside what, what God, the things that are, that are outside of what God wants, um, that's really the, 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 the system that he's talking about here. <clears throat> So we die, for, die to sin, to ourself, and to the world. So what, is there, what comes out of this death, even our, our own death, our dying to, to sin, to self, and the world? Um, Jesus said that, that death brings forth life, and life brings forth fruit. What, what is that fruit? <clears throat> First of all, there's, there's fruit in our own lives. Um, there's fruit of the Spirit. We, when we live God, live for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, that we die to ourselves because of that. <clears throat> and out of that death, 
his spirit comes within us, that fruit, that spirit produces the fruit of the spirit. Peter in verse, in chapter one of, of his epistle, of the second, second epistle of, of Peter, talks about a, a sort of progression of things that come from, from this death and out, out of our faith. He says, for us also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brother, brotherly kindness, and your brother, brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten what, that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So it produces fruit in our lives. As we die to ourselves, and we... Um, it, it produces those, those graces in our lives. It also produces fruit in the lives of others. Um, that second commandment is to love others as ourselves. It's that sacrificial love. <clears throat> when we focus on others it takes, and take an interest in their lives, it, first of all, it encourages them, but it also it, it enriches our lives also. It makes us more well, well-rounded, more experienced, and more, more wise. Our love for others also should draw them toward the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Another quote from Bonhoeffer says, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. If we're living as Christians, and we talked about this in our Sunday school also, about how our lives as Christians should draw other people to, to Christ and should make them, as Bonhoeffer says, question their disbelief in God. Another fruit is, is eternal life. You know, with few exceptions, the only way to get to heaven is by dying. And I think it's a fitting symbolism that when people die, we, we plant their bodies in the ground. With the expectation that when the conditions are right, their bodies will sprout, and what sprouts will be different from what went into the ground. It may look different, but it will be different. And First Corinthians talks a lot about how our bodies in the resurrection are going to be different than they are here on earth. <clears throat> I don't know how that looks, uh, but I trust that God um, knows what he's doing and that as our bodies are, are sown into the ground, that there is a resurrection and that we, can, we, we believe that, that there is life after death and our bodies will be resurrected as, as Jesus' body was. So in closing, I'd like to give this illustration of, of the caterpillar, and you probably heard this, um, but I, I did a little research about how a um, caterpillar turns into a butterfly or a moth. It's the process of metamorphosis, and it's the process in which a, a caterpillar becomes a, 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 a beautiful mutter, butterfly. So the story usually begins with a, with a very hungry, hungry caterpillar hatching, its, hatching from an egg, and that caterpillar or, or larva um, goes through a series of molts, which it sheds its skin, and one day the caterpillar stops eating. It hangs upside down from a twig or leaf. It spin its, spins itself a silky cocoon, or molts into a shiny chrysalis. And within that protective chrysalis, this transformation, this metamorphosis happens. 
I've never done it, but they say at a certain point, if you would open a chrysalis, it would be basically just a, a gooey mess. Um, and what happens is the, the enzymes from the larva actually dissolves the body of the caterpillar. And um, there is what they call a um, imaginative disc that is actually sort of the, the, the nucleus of the, of the butterfly. And it actually feeds off the enzymes that, are, that, that used to be this caterpillar. And it started growing different parts, um, where it used to be just a, uh, a ground animal that crawled along the, along the ground. It now has, has wings. <clears throat> so once the caterpillar has disintegrated all of its tissues, except for these imaginal discs, um, those discs use this protein-rich soup all around them to fuel this, this rapid cell division required to form the wings, the antenna, legs, and eyes, and all the other features of an adult, adult butterfly or moth. And that's, I believe, is the picture of what Jesus is talking about here in John 4, where we need to die. We need to just become nothing um, of what we used to be. And, and out of that death, Christ is trying to, to make something beautiful. And while it has the same parts, they're rearranged and, and God using it for a different purpose. And often we, we sort of struggle against that death. I don't want to be turned into soup. I want to, I want to be a caterpillar. I don't want to die. Um, but if a caterpillar knew what it was going to be, I think it would, it would and, and it does it just out of instinct, but it, if it was thinking, it would say, well, I'd much rather be a butterfly than a caterpillar. <clears throat> And I'll close with a, um, a story from A.M. Milne, which you'll know as a Winnie the Pooh writer. Um, he's, he told a story about Piglet and, and Pooh um, talking, and Pooh once asked Piglet, he says, how does one become a butterfly? Piglet's response was, you must want to fly so much that you're willing to give up being a caterpillar. You mean to die, asked Pooh. Yes and no, Piglet answered. Well, it looks like you will die, but it's really you will live on. So the question I'll come back, as I said at the beginning, am I going to take my way? Am I going to take God's way? Am I willing to die to, to sin, to myself, to the world, in order to become what God has created me to be? Do I trust God that if I die to what I want and who I am, that he will make me into more than I could ever be on my own? And out of that death comes a beautiful transformation and much fruit. Let's mouth for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your, your word. Thank you for the life of Christ. Thank you for his death and that he have much to learn about how, how life comes from, from dying. And Father, we, we don't like to die. We don't like to give up. We don't like to not know what's going to happen. But we also trust you, that you're a good God, that what you ask of us is, is a good thing, it's the right thing. And so I pray, Lord, that each one of us could have eyes to, to see you, to see our circumstances, and see the ways that you're working those, 
circumstances to, for our good and for your glory. Lord, I pray that we could take our eyes off of ourselves and to see you. That our chief end would be to, to glorify you and to work to, to see you glorified in, in other people's lives. So Lord, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see and hearts to, to understand, hands and, and feet to, to do your will. Go with us, guide us. Thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>